ぽ。Hello, my friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Tim Legacy. And I'm your host, Sarah Legacy. And this is a podcast where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. And today on the podcast, show, po- show, showcast, show, showcast podcast. we have your friend and mine, Stephen Henning. Stephen Henning, the man behind the microphone. We get to ask him all the questions. The man, the myth, the legend. It, yeah. It's amazing hearing his voice on all, what, 40 episodes now? Like, it's technically 41, but 40 episodes of No Normal People, we get to hear a little bit more about Steven and his background. Oh my gosh, our conversation, yeah, just the best. He's so interesting, and I loved getting to pick his brain about um, just the background of No Normal People and where it came from and what he's interested in. Oh my gosh. And in the same vein as Dixie's episode... There just feels like a lot to get to know about Stephen that has not had a chance to meet the rest of the wider world. And we get to get into that today. Yeah. And if you're curious, why are Tim and Sarah talking right now? It's because we have the privilege of asking these questions. It's easier, I think, to talk about personal things or answer questions to someone who's not your spouse, which is why Dixie isn't going to be the interviewer here on this podcast. We could turn the tables a bit, and Stephen gets to fill in some blanks. It's great! And people get to hear our voices for one more week. (laughs) For one more week. Mr. Henning. Yes. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's our pleasure. You were the first person that came to the top of our minds to uh, invite today, so... Well... Today. Today. <laughs> <laughs> you had my wife first. Fixed her. And she was fantastic. So the bar's pretty high. Oh well, my gosh. Uh, so no pressure. Are you okay. ready for some rapid fire questions? I'm so ready. Let's do this. Change or consistency? Consistency. Shows or movies? Shows. Was the dress black and blue or white and gold? Uh, it was black and blue to me. Nice. Yes. Thank you. Also, bonus, Laurel, not Yanny. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> Task oriented or people oriented? I wish people, but I'm more task. Carpet or hardwood? Carpet. Oceans or lakes? Lakes. Rain or sun? Rain. Tea or coffee? Tea. Sea or space? Space. Libraries or museums? Libraries. Soup or salad? Mm, Salad. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. East coast or west coast? West coast. Laundry or dishes? Dishes. Sweet or savory? Savory. Apples or oranges? Apples. Passenger or driver? Passenger. Vanilla or chocolate? Vanilla. Handshakes or hugs? Hugs. Phone calls or texts? Texts. Homebody or free spirit? Homebody for sure. Spender or saver? Saver. Do you call it soda or pop? Soda. Books or movies? Books. And introvert or extrovert? Again, sometimes I like I wish I was more extroverted, but I'm definitely if it's a it's the question of like how you recharge. 
definitely introvert. Totally. Definitely need some like mm. alone time. Just alone time. That mm-hmm. coincides with that homebody aspect too. Oh, absolutely. I also, in my brain, I associate it with that consistency versus change as well. I like a very stable, you know, a space that's always the same, you know? Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really respect that about you. I think you're a man of some incredible rhythms. Excited to get into that oh, more with the podcast. You. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of our rapid fire questions. We are going to go into some icebreaker questions. Are let's, you ready? Let's do it. Perfect. Do you like being surprised? No, not at all. Not at all. Dixie very often will like, will wake up on, on the weekend and she's like, do you want to go on a date with me? And even that level of spontaneity is detestable to me. Like I would rather schedule a date two weeks in advance and talk about it at our marriage meeting every Saturday and like know that I am expected to be romantic <laughs> for that date. Like I hate <laughs> walking into surprises like that or even that. Yeah. Oof, so no. would you say it's more of having you you know what to expect it's the fear fear of not being prepared what is it about surprises that you're i think it's a prep question i like knowing what what kind of stance others are expecting from me when i walk Mm. into a situation so like if i if i just like opened my front door one day and it was the living room was packed with people for like a birthday party or something i would like i would melt down for a second be like what do you want from me? <laughs> Noted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is one thing on your bucket list? One thing? Oh. Got to narrow it down to one. Uh, I made this whole list uh, a couple years ago and it ended up being like 60 things long. So this is very hard. It's <laughs> it Then treat it more like a grab bag. Pick one thing off of the list. Okay. I want to own like a downtown city apartment in like somewhere in switzerland like i want the the city setting but switzerland specifically like that like central northern europe is dream dream spot for me what what are some of the 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 tones that come to mind what are some of the what's the vibe of switzerland like in your mind oh i mean i it has always been the outlier for me like growing up homeschooled my like switzerland always comes up as the famously neutral party in anything that happens in europe or Mm -hmm. in the world and there's something about that i just like i really like i'm like they just stick to themselves that's fine that's cool but also like i want that city vibe too like another one on my bucket list is to own no cars and only like go around the city i live in with like walking and biking Mm -hmm. like i love that idea of just being like so embedded that if i need to go somewhere i'm either flying or like renting a car or taking a train or something. I love this dream Yeah, that I can 100% get behind that. Right. That's very good. One day it would be so cool to be a Swiss citizen, like to actually naturalize into the country, but it's like a 15 year process for them before you can even take a citizenship test. Like they're very, yeah, no, they're just very uh, protective of Mm. their culture and stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard to get in unless you can, unless you can prove to them for a decade and a half that, you fit in, you know, it feels like a good culture, something worth protecting. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I like it. Okay. Do you have a collection of anything? Oh, I think I probably collect two things. Books being the first, mm-hmm. um, and vinyl records of metal music that I like. Those are the things I kind of collect. There were several very unexpected turns in that sentence. <laughs> I liked it a lot. I used to collect a lot more things. Dixie and I kind of went on a, like a minimalist kick a number of years ago and those are the two that we kind of decided on like we're minimalist 
but we're going to have a very full library, right? Mm -hmm. So I love that. What is the best gift you've ever received? Wow. Had you asked me this like a year ago, I would have immediately gone to like a birthday or Christmas, but especially in this last year, like I've reframed gift Mm. so much in my own life that like I would consider my relationship with Tom Bancroft a real gift. He's half of our marriage mentor couple that Mm. we meet with every month. And we met, we met them at Fresh Life a good number of years ago now. And just like having someone who I can say is such a solid friend, but also he's like in his mid sixties while I'm in my mid twenties, like that is a serious gift. Having a relationship there and having enough common ground that we don't feel like, like Mm. twiddling our thumbs or Mm -hmm. not knowing what to talk about if we go out to coffee. Which is a very difficult thing to uh, cultivate in a mentor-mentee relationship. Yeah, especially the intergenerational like conversation Mm. there. Mm -hmm. I think it's nice though because between him and I, it's like we're two generations apart instead of one. Hmm. That would be like me being super like a mentee-mentor kind of relationship with my dad, Mm -hmm. which would be great. But like having just another generation step off from that, it's I don't know something very special to me. Have you ever feared for your life? Uh, yeah, I think a couple times I still like battle a little bit of uh, just a fear of heights. So whenever Mm -hmm. I'm high up, I always have that weird experience in my mind of like you're walking over a bridge and you look over and then your brain plays for you what the next 10 seconds would be like if you tipped over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Happens to me all the time. Oh, man. And then <laughs> is is that just an involuntary thing that ha- like that script happens in your mind? It's definitely involuntary and it's very annoying. Uh, I found learning to meditate has helped me like allow that thought to come and then be like, no, I don't want to hang out with you. Mm. You can leave now. Yeah. Because I don't want to imagine that anymore. Sure. So like a fear of heights is one of those. I think um, we we used to live out in the middle of like nowhere. We were like 30 minutes away from Laurel here. And there's a, a section of road that is like hill up this side as you're coming down the hill. And it's like, we call it snake hill because it has a lot of really tight turns to just like, it hugs the side of a bluff to get like down into a valley okay. on the drive into Laurel. So it's like hill up one side and a pretty steep, it's not quite cliff, but it would be catastrophic if a car went off the mm-hmm. edge there. And one winter, I think I was 13, we were going to church uh, on a Sunday morning and it was like slick and icy all on that gravel. And my oh. dad hit the first turn and lost control of the back end of our Jeep. And oh, we like, no. and we spun down the road and ended up ditching into the, the right side of the Whoa. road where, where it was safe. But had, had we had anything gone differently, our car would have rolled 50, 7,500 oh feet like, wow. all the way down into a ravine. Like, that moment wow. is crazy. Brush with death. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. What is your favorite dine-in restaurant? Oh, um, sushi is usually a good bet. Doesn't really matter which restaurant. I, I'm partial to Okinawa up in the Billings Heights. Mm-hmm. Really like that spot. But I think my favorite one is the the Pelican Diner in Laurel. It's like this hole in the wall, like greasy spoon breakfast diner, and. There are so many good memories associated with this, like going and grabbing breakfast with a bunch of guys at like 6 a.m. on a Saturday and just hanging out until like 10. Like the waitress knows our name. We know her name. Yeah. And like constantly refilling the very bad diner coffee oh, that you have to so like good. mask with a bunch of like creamer and stuff. The best. The that, best. Yeah. That's one of my favorite spots. Excellent. Yeah. Favorite thing to do by yourself? I mean, 
honestly, probably podcast editing. I, I really like being right here at the station and just like stitching together a conversation hmm. and stitching together like something me and my my colleagues or friends like created together. Hmm. I love that a lot. So you've chosen a very good hobby then. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I have. Uh, what is your favorite TV show? Oh, uh, nostalgia's sake. Pretty much always The Office, like if I'm going to open mm-hmm. that up. But recent, recently, The Good Place is is my favorite. What they The story they tell in four seasons is something that not a lot of shows could have pulled off in like 12 seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But they managed to keep it nice and short. Because like, I don't like when a show goes too long and you can tell that they're just like starting to parody themselves or the writers are running out of ideas. <laughs> it feels like they're just kind of grasping at yeah, things to The Good keep Place on. knew... When it was time to stop and they, the, their dismount was perfect. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's, that will almost always elevate a show like two or three notches in my mind, even if the rest of it was not terribly enjoyable for me. Right. Completely agree. Yeah. If you finish a story well, I mean, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like the middle ha- of it. That's like half the fight. Yes. Yes. Precisely. Yeah. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? I like the cookies, no, uh, chocolate chip cookie dough by Ben and Jerry's, mm. by the pint in those cartons. I love the huge, oh, so fat chunks I of know. cookie dough they put in there. They're enormous. If I can't find that one, the Ben and Jerry's half-baked, where it's those chocolate chip cookie dough bits and brownie, and it's like vanilla and oh. chocolate ice cream. See, I've always wondered with those, if you could somehow extricate the bits of cookie dough and try baking it, like, would it actually work? I don't know. Personally, I would never want to find out if it works. Like, I know <laughs> it works the in thing. the frozen <laughs> dairies. So it's like, I'll keep it that way. Respect. <laughs> yeah. But those are the, like, those two flavors in particular are the few ice creams that I can have, like, given my nut allergies. So, sure. Like, yeah. I found those two and I'm like, this is what, Solid. I'm, this is what I'm about right here. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Steven, who would you say is the smartest person that you know? Oh, I think the smartest person I know is Caleb Lasloffy. Mm. Oh, he and I, like, we sat down to do this podcast and we ended up going like three and a half hours and I used two and a half hours of it. And it was just, oh, every time I'm in that guy's presence, I, I learned something very new about the world. And I, I appreciate that so much. Yeah. His episode is still one of my favorites. Thank you. Steven, do you have a secret talent? Oh. I asked these questions. I should know these. <laughs> um, no, that would be cheating. I can solve a Rubik's Cube in less than a minute. That is pretty cool. Yeah. My record is like 26 seconds. Oh wow. my gosh. So like that was... When did you learn to do that? Well, so in high school, I learned it. Uh, me and a bunch of friends just went crazy and we all bought like speed cubes. And specific, like you can redo the guts on the inside so that they glide better and then there's like specific yeah. like lubricants you can buy with like really long needles so you can like oh my push gosh. into the thing and like make it all faster so i learned the basics like the way the the booklet teaches you probably my freshman year of high school but covid quarantine like march through july i was on youtube a lot and learning all this the actual speed trick algorithms and moves and stuff i don't know it was just one of those things that i decided to pour myself into once i wasn't going anywhere yeah (laughs) that's a really good quarantine type of skill to develop yeah Yeah. i thought so that was that was yeah that one was fun what was your first job barista at city brew in laurel montana which city brew like i always describe it as the 
the Montana Starbucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. like fast food coffee, yeah. you know? That feels appropriate. Uh, it was a fantastic ex- like work experience, though. Like We were more drive-through heavy than lobby. Like We had the smallest lobby in the company. So my favorite times were working with uh, a couple of my good buddies because it ended up like I got the job and then a lot of people I had as friends started working there as well. So we are mm. we all already had relationships. So like closing shifts were just a blast. But like the Saturday morning shifts when all the interstate traffic is coming off the road and they're grabbing coffee and we're doing like 100, 150 drink hours and just like oh blasting gosh. through rushes. Those wow. are my favorite times. Like you just hit that flow state. And you're oh, like, my word. Please tell me you blasted like metal it. music while you did that to get through. No. So at the time, the, the company that ran and owned City Brew owned a local Billings radio station that very much played the opposite of my favorite music. <laughs> so a lot of the time I was just like trying to tune the music oh, out. No. <laughs> <laughs> just very... Yeah, just a lot of like 80s, 90s rock and country classics that were not... Not exactly your jam. Not my jam. So, follow-up question. Is City Brew coffee now when you, like, when you get a drink from Starbucks or City Brew, Mm -hmm. does, like, do you take a drink and then does that music start playing through your head just automatically? Oddly, it does not, no. That's a gift. That is serious. Do you want to change your answer from earlier? (laughs) Yeah, that that I haven't like attached those sense memories yeah. to the terrible music. <laughs> no, no, I'll stick with my previous answer. But oh my gosh, did you have a go to drink? Yeah, it started becoming just uh, four shots of espresso over ice. Ooh. I would just put it over ice so I could like chug it. You real do fast. listen to metal wow. music. <laughs> yeah, we started making my last year before I uh, moved on. We started. We all discovered undertoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured out how to pour them. Like you pour it on the spoon so that the espresso rests on top and the cold cream and the, yep. the sugar is on bottom. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you actually shoot it, you get really hot, like bitter espresso. And then it, it immediately becomes cold with the, mm-hmm. I, we had a Thanksgiving shift and you know, it was like, if somebody ordered a triple shot, you would have to pull four shots. Cause we only had like double head pours. Mm-hmm. So Anytime we had an extra shot, I would always have like a clean undertow cup ready to go. Nice. And the five of us that were on the Thanksgiving shift, we each did like more than 10 shots of espresso oh, during that gosh. shift. It was insane. <laughs> we all left and we were like, whoa. <laughs> Just jittery. <laughs> yeah. It was, oh, man. It, wow. was, it was dangerous. It sounds memorable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely. Okay. Good times. Yeah. Good times. Steven, what's your proudest accomplishment? Man, I think... Honestly, over 2020 was, it was like a real time for personal growth, but also like personal, I guess, achievements or like, you know, like at the beginning of 2020, this podcast didn't exist. Ravel didn't exist. Whiskey Bench didn't exist. And now they all do. And like, I tallied it up yesterday and over 2020, I was personally involved in releasing 90 episodes of audio. Wow. Which easily is like over a hundred hours of of talking (laughs) so that's a huge accomplishment yeah i was yeah i was i was really proud of just kind of looking back over 2020 and being like none of this existed before Mm. and now it does and now it just feels like normal Mm. life so like what what is the next year going to be like like what doesn't exist now that's going to exist on january 1st 2022 yeah you know no 100 percent. that gets me excited gosh so many questions about the podcast excited to get into that more later in our conversation let's do it uh, what would you say your favorite failure is? Mm. 
I think so. Dixie and I had a roller coaster of a relationship since my freshman year of high school. Like we started dating, and after two years of that, we decided to break up because things were not going in the direction we wanted them. Like I think I could positively say, as a freshman, I wanted to marry this girl, but also you're a freshman and like mm-hmm. you're very hormonal, <laughs> and you're just like making out, you know. Um, so like, I think one of my favorite failures though, is the time, like the heartbreak and the time it took to heal after breaking up after my sophomore year. And like my entire junior year probably felt like the darkest year of my life just because the girl I was in love with is gone. But then like after that junior year and coming back the senior year, like I, and especially now, like looking back over the time we spent apart was absolutely the right thing for our Mm. relationship Mm. and like we're where we are now because we took that time to actually discover as teenagers what we were like without the other because we were becoming very like codependent and very like clingy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i guess my favorite failure would be like letting a relationship go way too far way too young and then learning from it Mm. Mm. wow really well put that's awesome really powerful answer thank you foods you will never eat I'm usually, so food allergies aside, I'm allergic to peanuts, most tree nuts, and broccoli, I just learned, which before food allergies, I would have said broccoli. Broccoli is my least favorite vegetable, always has been, definitely now, always will be. <laughs> Man, I don't know if there, there are foods I wouldn't eat or don't You're pretty anymore. adventurous. Yeah, honestly, like- As long as it's not going to kill you. It, <laughs> felt like, it felt like sushi was the last thing to like tip over, the last domino to fall for me to learn that being picky is not worth it mm-hmm. you know like Interesting. Once, once i learned that like sushi is good and the idea of raw fish doesn't have to be gross i'm like oh yeah i'll be like i wish dixie would try more like organ meats with me like i've had kidney i've had liver i've had uh heart like buffalo heart before and i love organ meats but mm. she just won't touch them huh. like, i wish i could invite her into that space yeah <laughs> yeah there was there a time where you did have that mental block or do you feel like that's what you overcame or you just tried it and didn't know it was hard after so so sushi it was like you try tuna and then you try salmon and then you start shrimp yeah right those are like the basics once i tried eel and octopus off sushi i was like oh i'm i'm down to try anything (laughs) because like uh i really i don't care about texture much and it's like it's all flavor for me so that's like that's that, why kidney doesn't bother me in like a steak and kidney pie or something like that. I feel like texture is kind of the ent- the the barrier to entry for most people with yes, trying weird things. I agree. Once you can get over that, totally, then <laughs> it's much easier to try a lot of stuff that you would never try otherwise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. Excellent. All right, Stephen, please share the worst fashion trend that you've ever participated in. Oh, that was most of high school. <laughs> um, so I relate for, to that. For a good number of years, uh, I didn't wear anything but shorts for like, I think it was like three or four years. Like even through dead of winter, I was the guy like with skater shoes and shorts on, much to my parents' frustration. <sighs> um, at the same time, so the ensemble was shorts, a lot of like neon and tie dye shirts. Nice. I yes. was in into like this is like late two thousands, like two thousand eight, nine, and then I also used to wear like a bajillion of those like rubber bracelets. <gasps> Silly bands. 
not, no, not the, quite silly bands. like more fundraiser. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like the fundraiser. <laughs> the male version of silly bands. There you go. So like I used to wear a ton of those. And then I used to have like a full on like Justin Bieber, like huge, like super long hair. And it was always like plastered to my. Oh, I can picture the whole thing to working together. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> not great. Not my no, not my proudest visual years, but uh... we have all been there. <laughs> What's your biggest pet peeve? I think now that I've bringing it back to podcasting already, like weird mouth sounds because I edit so much when a lot of people like when they uh, pop into a breath, like, like through their tongue Mm. like that, or I mean, oh no, I do this a lot. Stop it. Stop it. (laughs) I don't want to make you self-conscious though. Like everyone has them. I do them as well. So it's like just editing them. They're my pet peeve because it creates more work on the computer for me. Sure. That's why. Do you find yourself, as you're listening to someone talk, you're noting, like, oh, I'm going to have to edit that later. Oh, there's another one. A little bit. A little bit. Like, early on was definitely that way very much. Especially, like, it was. it's always first about myself. So, like, I have a whole Evernote just taking notes on, take these words out of your vernacular, learn how to breathe off mic, like, taking notes on myself because I was, like, driving myself crazy. But beyond that now, like... I'll I mean, have you a guest have a hundred hours under your belt right. at this point. So. I'll just I'll have a guest on uh, on this show, and I just I just expect some of those quirks. And half the time, especially now, like I'm a lot more lenient with what I leave in there because a lot of the time I I want to leave the pauses in there that they use to say that sentence because mm-hmm. you know that's how they talk. I don't want to misrepresent them by like shoving all silence out, so it just seems like they're talking for ten minutes without breathing. It's like <laughs> we breathe, and we all have those weird things. So. It's part of being a normal person. Right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Who would you call your best friend? Mm. I know Dixie said it couldn't be me. (laughs) (laughs) And when she told me that, I was like, that's fine, but I'm going to say you. Uh, (laughs) Dixie, like, she's easily my, well, she's not my oldest relationship, but of course my most intimate relationship. And she just has a way of unlocking parts of me that I didn't know existed, especially the more playful and colorful parts. Otherwise, I would be very, I would be too rigid and too trying to stick to the schedule or trying to stick to the routine that I would forget that life has color, life has fun. Sure. It's fine to sleep in. It's fine to have an extra cookie or whatever, Hmm. you know? So I would say Dixie. Um, Beyond that, it's so hard to categorize like a best friend because I have so many different relationships, especially again, through this podcast, like reawakening so many like older relationships. My friend Alex Falcongrove and I, we were our our first best friends for each other growing up in Colorado. And my family moved when I was three. And then just last year, I reconnected with him over Instagram and we did an episode of this podcast. And now he and I are back to being best friends after like 23 years of not even like being on each other's radar. I think that one would be one to highlight just because it's like, it's so special that it's just rekindled and we're just, we're just back at it. It's a Disney movie. It's so cool. Amazing. (laughs) That's awesome. Who of your friends would you say is the easiest person to carry a conversation with? Like easiest person to talk to? Again, we're going to exclude spouses just for the sake of the question. The easiest person to just run a conversation with. It's probably Caleb Lasloffy, quite honestly, like Hmm. uh, bringing it back to the diner. My favorite diner, like that's the spot where he... Steven Torna, like Michael Clausen, Colin Sescoyas, like those of us who grew up since like fourth or fifth grade, knowing each other in youth group and stuff, mm. like 
we all have a dynamic that we kind of cultivate there at that diner now, now that we're not living in the same places or even like we don't go to the same churches and we don't go to the like the same common interests, but we always make time for that. Mm. So like the conversations that happen there. So like, I, ju- I guess I just named quite a number of them. But again, Caleb Laslaff is really easy to talk to mm. for me. That's fantastic. Last question. When you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, man, I <laughs> I basically wanted to be anything my dad was excited about. Oh, um, so like <laughs> I the my first memory of like wanting to be something was I wanted to be a drummer because my dad played drums and I thought that was just the coolest thing. Right. So like playing his drum set when I was five and I couldn't even reach the pedals like I was just using my hands and I'm like, look, dad, I'm doing it. <laughs> oh. But then because he worked for the FAA, we would talk about planes and helicopters and all sorts of like fighter jets and all that stuff. So basically I was like, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, but I also wouldn't mind being like an air traffic controller like he was or just like in the aviation world, just because like everything he was into seemed so fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. There's a part of all of us as kids that look up to our parents in a capacity. We're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're amazing and fantastic. And I just want to do what you're doing, even if I don't understand it. Yeah. And it starts young. Mm-hmm. It starts young. And if you allow it to, like, it can become its own thing for you. Like, drums are still a part of my life, not since living in apartments. Like, I haven't played my own drum set in seven years now. Hmm. Makes me very sad. But yeah. I've played at church occasionally. And it's good to, like, get those muscles back. Sure. Um, but when I was eight, nine, ten in those ages, my dad started getting really into home recording. So he bought, like, a huge setup to like mic every one of his drums and he would he would track drums playing to his favorite songs so he could like listen back and critique himself and learn what he needs to be working on and then he and i had the same drum teacher here in billings when we moved here so like we were going to the same teacher we were practicing the same things and like kind of learning together so honestly i do think like a setup like this like podcasting part of that love started with like watching my dad learn all about the audio world as well like learning how to track his drums Oh it man, totally. Is, it's translated yeah. into this world for me. Wow. Yeah. Oh, Steven. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Even these microphones were his recommendation. He's like, these would be good because you could use them to record your own drums one day, but also they'll pick up a voice beautifully. Oh, nice. Like <laughs> just all sorts of stuff yeah. like that. Well, yeah. A wealth of knowledge. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Stephen Henning, thank you so much for the honor and the opportunity to kind of flip the tables a bit and get to interview you. It's crazy. I mean, you you're on this show like I guess you're releasing an episode every single week mm-hmm. and mastering it and working through who's going to be next. And it's just, it's so fun to get to unveil the the curtain a little bit and just tap into your mind a little bit. Uh, we love what you've created for what it's worth and just think it's oh, exciting to get to look back over a year, 40 episodes. Again, like I'm, I'm really glad that you named that as one of your proudest accomplishments because that's no, that's no small deal. That's yeah. amazing. That feels for really For one podcast, right. not to mention, you've got... Yeah three total at this point absolutely more on the way yeah well thanks for like flipping the table on us and like you guys were perfect for it because you'd been on the show before so you knew what it was like and also like from the beginning you've been listening so you were obsessed you listen so well and like we'll show up at your house to play D &D and sarah very often like the first thing you say is like i loved this week's episode i'm like oh like she gets it and I'm so excited to, it's really weird being on this side of the interview though. Can I just say like even the rapid fire questions, I'm like, I know they're intended to not like help people 
get over the nerves, but they <laughs> they also give you the nerves in, yeah. a, in a way. It's really, yeah. really weird. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I'm excited to get into that more. I would love to talk to you more about podcasting and your experiences so far, kind of reflections on the last year as well as projections and dreams for the next year. Oh, sure. Um, but also we'd love to talk to you about kind of your deconstruction process as a oh, as a person. I think yeah. it's just really admirable and inspiring. But before we get into all that, would love to just, could you give us kind of a synopsis history of Steven? Talk yeah. about where you're from. What are the main story points that have worked together to make you the person you are now? Sure. And, and we would really like to focus that in on what was the experience of being you like? What mm. what shaped you? Yeah. What, what, what emotions was, were at play? And... Yeah. What are some of the things that are, uh, that are kind of the crux of your story rather than just events? I like that angle. That's a good angle. So I was born in Denver, Colorado, and I grew up in Brighton with my family. My poor mother, she <laughs> she gave birth to me on January 7th, 95. I was due February 8th, if I remember correctly. Wow. But I was an out shy of 11 pounds and a month premature. Like I was a freaking <laughs> wow. monster Steven. of a baby. Full head of like jet black hair. Yeah, I was I was famous at the hospital for a good number of weeks because I was the <laughs> wow. the eleven pound preemie. So like, <laughs> you go to the NICU and it's it's me like already like one point five times the size of a <laughs> of a regular baby, but also next to premature babies that are legitimately like premature, like five pounds, six pounds. So it, wow. yeah, I was. Oh man, my parents were pretty proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so grew up in Brighton and. Basically, like what keeps us moving throughout my childhood is my dad's job. Like he he's worked for the FAA ever since, I think, 86 or something like that. Like career FAA. Uh, he was a uh, air traffic controller and then became a supervisor and hmm. then got more of a uh, like an administrative role here in Billings. So every time we moved, hmm. it was because of his work. So Brighton, Colorado first, where he worked at the Denver Tower, like DIA, the big one. And then we moved to uh, Winterset, Iowa, which is just like an hour or so outside of Des Moines and kind of grew up among the cornfields for a while there. We were mostly downtown, like we were only a couple blocks away from the, the big square. And who was we at this point? Oh, um, I think my, my brother was also born in Brighton. So it was the four of us. Okay. Pretty much from the start. Yeah. Okay. Mom, dad, and then my younger brother, David. Yeah. So we moved to Iowa and then probably it was 2004 we moved to Billings. We moved to the Heights first did some apartment living while my parents were home shopping. And then they chose a place like 30 minutes outside of Laurel. This is on top of the the terrifying hill that almost killed us. <laughs> yeah. And did most of my like actual formative growing up at the house on the hill there, just outside of Laurel here. So I was homeschooled until eighth grade or until ninth grade. And a lot of that was, I actually don't know why my parents were choosing homeschool, but by the time we we hit eighth grade, especially with me and math. Like it was clear that I was taking off at a rate that my mom wasn't ready to prep and teach every year, but also like wanting to be a musician, like a drummer, like my dad, it's really hard to find a, a setting to be a musician with other people when you're homeschooled. Like there's a homeschool co-op choir, which Tracy and I were in for like two years, mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but it was only her, me and one other girl. Like we weren't even a choir, but we called ourselves a choir, <laughs> you know? So like, it became very hard to be a musician in that setting. So after my eighth grade year, heading into that summer, basically my parents were like, we're literally, we're just going to leave the choice up to you. Like, mm. do you want to try public school? Because at this point, 
growing up in, in youth group together with a lot of my friends, like I already had a bunch of friends from the sixth grade here in this area. So going to high school in public school is a lot less daunting to me because I knew plenty of people. So that's, that's what I chose to do. I chose to go to high school freshman year. Part of the, I think I told this story on the podcast already, but part of the reason was I was like majorly crushing on a girl (laughs) in our youth group. And that was just one of those like, yeah, like a middle school, like, I just want more excuses to see her. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Um, How would you describe your role in your family? Oh, wow. My role in my family. I, I'm going to talk myself into it because I don't really know how to answer that. So my childhood was like, quintessentially easy middle-class family childhood like mm-hmm. um my parents relationship was really good um at least the parts we saw like they modeled yeah. it really well and if they had conflict they they dealt with it and, and <laughs> so i never had to deal with like any majorly traumatic things i think the most traumatic thing to me was moving from iowa to montana because i was already developing friendships and i sure feeling ripped away from those friends was very hard for me but at the same time like homeschooling our our social life wasn't huge anyway, but at the same time, so like when you get dislocated from a community and drop into another, especially because the homeschool community is so small, mm-hmm. like it's really easy to like slip into the homeschool co-ops here in Montana mm-hmm. and almost immediately just start meeting people. Hmm. So that was nice in a way, but my childhood was like really easy. I, I don't know any other way to describe that. I think my my brother and I were both pretty independent players. So we would just... What's the age difference between you guys? Uh, he's two and a half years younger than okay. I am. So like he and I always got along well. Well, not always. We, once I hit high school, like I became the high schooler who was like, ugh, little brothers, am I right? <laughs> and then as soon as I was like over the throes of the worst of puberty and like senior year of high school for me, my brother just hit that phase. No. And then he was like, ugh, older brothers, am I right? <laughs> so like we had a good like four or five years where we didn't really like each other. But now we're back to being like super tight and best friends again. That's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's really beautiful. Am I answering your question, though? Like my role in my family? I don't know. I, d- I didn't feel like I was being called upon to be like extra supportive of one parent over another or th- it sure, was honestly yeah. like really easy for me. <laughs> but it sounds like it was really happy, too. And Yo, fulfilling. Yeah. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Definitely something to celebrate. Mm hmm. So uh, we also want to ask about, uh, unless there's anything else that, that you feel like you, we want to mention. There. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to your family, your, your history of Steven? Because you met Dixie and I interrupted. Yeah. So I started going to high school for another girl I was crushing on. And then a couple months after that, met Dixie uh, through band. My first memory of her, she had just had knee surgery from dislocating her knee and like tearing her ACL. Hmm. And so we were doing marching band my freshman year. And for me, it was like, it's marching band. Like, this is the thing that I wanted to do. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm there, like I'm carrying the biggest bass drum. Cause I always make the freshman carry the biggest one. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I remember though, because Dixie had just had surgery, uh, she had like her big brace on and she was just standing on the edge of the field. And my very first memory of her was thinking like, what gets her out of walking with us? <laughs> <laughs> And I feel absolutely <laughs> terrible for that because like, yeah, I'm, jealousy. I'm carrying the, the huge drum and it's like, it's August in oh. Montana and we're on like the rubber Astro oh. turf of the football field, right? It's and like just 20 like, degrees hotter. We're just baking and I'm carrying this thing. And yeah, I, <laughs> I just remember being like, what gets her out of this? Man, I'm not so proud of that. Not proud of that. But uh, she asked me to winter formal that year and 
pretty much the rest is history after that. Like because of the way we were spaced in, in high school, like it was her junior year when it was my freshman year. So like she took me to prom as a freshman and then she took me to prom as a sophomore. And then I went to prom as a junior. So like I got to go to like all the proms of high school, (laughs) all the winter formals and nice, just all that fun stuff. But yeah, so our relationship, I gave a little bit of history, like things were just becoming very codependent and like progressing way too quickly for what a 16 year old can handle. So we broke up and then I think we started dating again, like my senior year, like right at the end of like right before I graduated. But uh, at what point do you feel like you knew she was the person you were going to ask to marry? I think after we started dating again, like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. senior year and then stepping into college as well. Like we went to Rocky together for a year and then she decided to quit college. And then I stayed at Rocky for another year before we decided like, we should just get married. This I'm tired of not being married to you, Dixie. So like put a ring on it. Enough <laughs> is enough. Yes, absolutely. And we decided, we thought we were going to just get married and take one year to learn how to be married without also having to be like full-time baristas and full-time mm-hmm. college students. Mm-hmm. But it was during that break year that I ended up getting the job I hold now at the refinery in Laurel and never gone back to school. For either of us, like we just started like making the things we wanted to do anyway. And a lot of it isn't really, it's not necessary to have a college degree to be a podcaster for sure. So <laughs> is that your dream to get to do podcasting full time? That would be so, yes, that would be so cool. Like going to work at the refinery after being a barista, like barista isn't hard work, I wouldn't say, but it's like, it's you're on your feet all the time. You're constantly like on for customers and completely shifting gears and going to a desk job that only requires me like walking out into the refinery like maybe 10% of the time. Switching to the desk job and also having the tremendous freedom from my bosses to like we're allowed to just listen to whatever we want whenever we want unless someone needs something and they'll come interrupt us. But there's never like a like quiet time where we all need to make sure we're not listening to anything or, you know, because we're all available. Mm-hmm. But So starting to listen to podcasts five years ago when I started this job and just like consuming every bit of it, I'm like, I love this idea of just like sharing what we all think together and also watching people grow through the process, like listening to the Bad Christian podcast in particular for me, it was like watching one of the co-hosts, his spiritual journey evolve over four years and also getting to be a part of it. Like there's there's a weird aspect of like, we're all creating a little bit of a parasocial relationship with the podcast we like to listen to because mm, they mm-hmm. don't know us as the listener, but we get so invested in them as hosts and them as personalities and stuff. And I definitely can recognize three podcasts in one year. Like I test pretty high in narcissism when it comes to personality. <laughs> and I have to acknowledge that anytime we start talking because it's like, it's true. I do like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> But especially No Normal People being the first project, I love what we're doing with the, it's like decentralizing away from just you need to write a book or you need to put out the next hit record yes. to be, to have a really interesting and really fun conversation. A hundred percent. So that's what I want to do long term <laughs> in podcasting is kind of like decentralize that again and get away from just famous people doing more famous things on their famous podcasts already. You know. Oh yeah. Can you give a little bit of an insight, an insider perspective on the history of no normal people? And can you remember when you first had the idea to get this started? Oh. Can you talk about your hopes for it and how it's evolved over the last year? Yeah. yeah. I would love to know when was that switch specifically when you started thinking 
I want to make my own podcast. Um, that was all Dixie. So <laughs> interesting. It was man, t- 2018. I think my friends, Steven Torna and Cameron DeMars started whiskey bench. Like mm-hmm. they started their podcast when they were college roommates, they called it whiskey bench. Now whiskey bench is something different, but it's like, mm. it's still Steven Torna's thing, but they started it. And they kept bringing up conversations I would have with them in private, but they would put it on the podcast. And I started listening to it and I'm like, dang it, I just want to be a part of this. Like, this would be mm. so much fun. So I tried to ask if I could be like a third co-host and I would just co-host from Billings. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. And I, I got the stuff. I got all the equipment necessary. And then they were like, we don't really have time for it. We don't really want to do it anymore. Anyway. Oh, so we're like, Dang it. I missed my chance. Cause like mm-hmm. them starting whiskey bench 1.0 was proof that i don't know it it felt like some some sort of like unachievable like this is only for people who have the means or the resources and all that but Hmm. once they started it and once cam introduced me to like even adobe audition like the program he used to edit that threshold broke down a little bit yeah i was like oh wow i can actually just like learn how to do this if it really matters to me i love that so we started i was a little heartbroken that whiskey bench wasn't going to happen with the two of them and then dixie one day was just like you listen to so many podcasts. Do you want to start one with me? Like, I think it would be so much fun because like we're fun. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we are. But then the, the age old and constant question on your mind when you want to start a show is like, what on earth would I be qualified to talk about? Mm-hmm. Sure. Right. Or what makes me interesting enough beyond just like an extra dose of narcissism that gives you the confidence that you are interesting enough <laughs> to start with. Right. Yeah. Um, so like I was listening to another show at work. I remember uh, a guest on another show said something about, wouldn't it be cool if like somebody started a show where they just started interviewing their family and friends? Oh, oh. I could do that. So like, the, and then just like all at once, the idea sprung to my mind. Like I, I had to run back to my desk, grab a sticky note. It was literally like what we do on the artwork. My breakthrough was putting the parentheses around the N-O mm. in the middle of the yeah. word K-N-O-W. I mean, that's a premise right there. Like he gave it to me just like listening to that. It was also fun because he mentioned was like, wouldn't this be so much fun if somebody just started interviewing their family and friends or like talking to just everyday people? He's like, I don't want to do that. Like, that sounds exhausting to me. (laughs) So like on the episode, he was like, anyone, if you want that idea, you can have it. And I'm like, "Okay, (laughs) thank you so much. (laughs) I'm so glad you did. Yeah. So I just I sketched it on a uh, sticky note and brought it home to Dixie. And I was like, is that? Is this anything? Because for me, listening to a lot of like high performing interview type shows, especially like Tim Ferriss show or, you know, like these big names, Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss being the, the one that that's another thing on my bucket list is I want to be interviewed by Tim Ferriss one day. <laughs> but so like listening him, listening to him talk to people and asking like what their favorite habits and routines are, like what books impacted them the most for me, like I just had this deep desire to be able to answer those questions myself. And I'm like, mm. I, I'm not going to land on Tim Ferriss's radar for many, many years if I do. Right. And th- it's annoying that this doesn't exist. And I can't be the only person who wants to answer these type of questions, but don't need to be, again, the artist, the thought leader, the the marketing guru mm. or the speaker or whatever. So that was kind of the origin of the, of the idea. And Dixie was always there just because she's like, it'd be fun to do something together like that. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts. 
where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you find this podcast valuable, please just tell a friend or anyone you know about the show in person with a text or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at NoPeoplePod. Be sure to visit us at NoNormalPeople.com, where you can sign up for our email newsletter called The Three Thought Thing. Find links to everything we talk about in the episode show notes and browse our ever-growing merch store. Decentralizing the art of the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it back to normal people instead of like, I don't know, I... One of my pet peeves is how Spotify in particular has created like the exclusive walled garden big name mm-hmm. podcast. Like they bought Joe Rogan and now you can only listen to Joe Rogan on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And out the gate, her first episode, the Michelle Obama podcast had over 2 million downloads because of her name. Right. And like, that's cool. That's fine for Michelle Obama. But especially the way podcasts started, like decentralized just put up on an RSS feed and anyone anywhere can subscribe to it. I like that a lot more. Mm. And I think like getting podcasting back to that instead of watching podcasting become a lot more like network television. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, and I would say with no normal people, I think what you've created is a really unique phenomena where you're not so much a consumer as you listen to it, because regardless of whether or not, you know, the person who's being interviewed you there are things that you're going to connect with or be inspired by or even if it's just in the very quote-unquote normal way that the conversation is coming about like every time I'd catch myself asking myself those same questions as I'm listening to an episode and it becomes interactive in a really special way Mm -hmm. it's a really cool relationship it's inspiring it's something that carries with you after the episode is over throughout the rest of your day into other conversations with other people I think that the it's cool to see this kind of ripple effect when you're listening to a podcast that's just that welcoming and invitational i mean down to the awesome theme music like it's everything about it it just is (laughs) it's lovely i think you guys have made something really cool the theme music the theme thank you thank you for that i think the interactivity of it is like my proudest aspect of what this show is in particular like Mm -hmm. it's recreating the feeling i have when i listen to tim ferris but now any one that knows me and listens to no normal people, they start having that, like, how would I answer that question? What is my favorite failure? Like, what is my biggest fear? Like, have I ever feared for my life? Like they start, you just automatically start thinking through the the questions. (laughs) And now like, if they know me, even if they don't know me, like this podcast gets them so much closer. If they're like just dying to get to answer the question for themselves. Sure. Mm -hmm. So like brand new, like we put up on our website for 2021, like if anyone wants to be a guest, they can actually just sign up to be a guest. So it's on our contact form. They can just select like, I want to be on the show and we'll just start an email thread and then we'll schedule a recording time and we'll get after it. That's very That's cool. so exciting. You I can, love it. Like you, people can even like, so the legacies know someone who should be on the show. Chris Prescott, it, for example. Yes. You could just text him the link to the contact form. And just say, like, I'm informally nominating you to be on this podcast. Start a conversation with Stephen and Dixie. Tim is pulling out his phone actively right at this moment. (laughs) It's happening. That's Chris, you know what's up. That's the next phase for 2021 is, like, opening it up a lot more than just, like, oh, Stephen and Dixie asked Mm. me to be on. Because I never never want to – I've always been terrified throughout 2020, like, throughout this project is, like, 
I interviewed Tim episode eight and I've always been terrified of Sarah being worried like, am I not cool enough for the show? Oh, or like, I never want anyone I know to be like, man, he's run the show for a year now and he never asked me yet. It's like, that is not, that is absolutely not it. Half the time when I invite someone on the show, it's like, I'm scrolling Instagram and I see like AJ Ellison doing something cool in the Red Rocks. And I'm like, dude, do you want to talk about this? This would be so fun. And that's pretty much just how it starts. Like, there's not really a grand vision or plan on like putting the episodes in order or like really curating the type of people I interview. Like, that's, that's the other thing I want to break into is especially like, even how we were talking about like uh, our marriage mentors, like I want to break into like other generations because mm-hmm. like it's easy to look over 2020 and be like, wow, a lot of Stephen and Dixie's guests were like people roughly their age that roughly look like them and like same economic situation or same like I, I, mm. I want to do intentional work to break that down. Yeah. And part of that is just like opening the whole thing up and being like, if you've ever heard the show and wanted to be on it, let's have you on it. I love that. You know, very cool. Oh, I'm so excited to see the sorts of conversations that come out in this next year. Uh, Yeah, I'm very excited for it. Do you have any other dreams or visions for the podcast in terms of format or audience or what are your what are your hopes for No Normal People? I think No Normal People in particular has always been one of the shows where I was kind of committed myself to like, I want to see how the audience grows and I want to see how our social media impact even grows strictly by word of mouth. Like, I'm never going to be the guy who downloads like bots to auto follow and unfollow people just to like build up the Instagram account or like paid, like (laughs) especially Facebook, like we're leaving Facebook just because essentially the Facebook algorithm at this point is like, if you want even the people who liked your page to see it, you still have to pay like five bucks to promote quote unquote the post you just made. So like Mm -hmm. we're just done with Facebook because we don't want to push the audience through money or just through some of those like they're not underhanded, but they're just not like it sets the wrong tone. If no, no, no people pod on Instagram just goes and follows like 10,000 people. And then a week later unfollows 5,000 because those are the 5,000 that didn't follow us. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Honestly, a lot of the the model that we we look to for growth is like humans of New York. Mm. The way Brendan put together that whole so Instagram profound. and that whole blog is like, mm. Yeah, I mean, like he he chose to do it a lot smarter where he goes like six to one city in one place. <laughs> like just and it's also happens to be like the most diverse place in our country. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you're doing it, man. Like <laughs> but yeah, no, like defining audience is very hard for no normal people. Like they say you should always pick like two or three avatars for your marketing. And it's like normal people? How do I how do I narrow <laughs> this down? I feel like any definition beyond everyone is too exclusionary for that definition but at the same time like that's not good marketing so that's where the Mm. like i just want word of mouth to come in and just like if sarah was particularly proud of her episode that she had if she shares it on her instagram that like that's how we do it or just like steven and dixie talking about it with our friends and family so it feels reflective of the podcast itself i like that's a a marketing model that's a small homebrew and it's not like trying to be too loud or flashy yeah the way it gets out there one dream that I have my brother kind of on on the bench for right now or on deck is uh, eventually compiling just the hundreds of questions I've dreamed up for like even the template I gave you guys for this, like hundreds of just like rapid fire questions or icebreakers. And I want to have my brother because uh, he's a uh, a tech whiz at this point, like he works for the state of Montana doing like website work and all that, hmm. like the coding stuff of it. So one day. 
and I'm not putting any date on it, but we actually want to do a no normal people app where it's like conversation starter app where you can just like filter through these conversations. So like you can pull the phone app open, like you're sitting around a fire in the middle of summer and you, you can just like pull it out and just start asking your circle around the fire, like all these questions that we do. Oh, I'm so pumped about that idea. Yeah. That's something we want to do. Oh my gosh. Again, not putting a date on it. No, it's a perfect dream. That's really cool. Because just inspiring these kind of conversations is what the podcast exists for, you know? And that's what I think podcasting is and should be more like conversational. Like I love Radiolab. I love Freakonomics, like the highly produced, like the like reporting style podcast is a lot different, like This American Life or something. But the normal people, like it's been called like the chat cast. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's very much what I'm into. Just like people sharing ideas back and forth, more roundtable than like we have something to say and here's the music that's going to manipulate you into like feeling what we want you to feel and Mm -hmm. also like Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. slip in all these these extras. Yeah. Well, it's clear that you've just poured yourself into it. And I love hearing you talk about podcasting because you just light up like it's inspiring to see you so passionate about it. It's yeah, It's it's, it's become something I'm I'm passionate about, like. I often think about how how much time I've spent just sitting here like editing Mm. and I don't know, like I I literally just can't think of anything else I would rather be doing because I already do the other things I would rather be doing. Like the way I try to invest into my marriage and like the amount of time I dedicate to writing and reading every day, the amount of time I spend with friends and family, just like going to play Smash Bros on the Switch or like go play around to disc golf. Like I already make the time for that. So when it comes down to like, like if I have any free time, I usually end up here just because like that's what I'm thinking about already. Sure. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I, I'd love to to kind of pivot a little bit. And in that vein of other things that you're passionate about, gosh, I'd love to talk to you about your relationships or about specifically your relationship with God and what deconstruction has looked like. Mm. I've been really inspired to hear bits and pieces of that journey or whatever you'd want to share, whether that's from more of a like a history relating standpoint or more from these are the spark notes of what I experienced in my, or why you think that deconstruction is important that, but also I'd love to hear you share about your routines and some of the structure that you've laced together for your life. Cause it's just beautiful. Oh, thank you, man. What a, your choice. What a (laughs) tee it up there, huh? Okay. The deconstruction angle, like the faith angle to my life, it's always been important to me. Like I grew up, my parents raised me like going to Awana, memorizing all sorts of Bible verses and kind of just like, in the church thing, you know, but we ended up going to a lot of like Baptist churches growing up. So like, which is a very Awana thing as well. Right. And, uh, I have no ill will for any of that theology at all. Like I, it serves exactly who it serves and who it needs to. But so growing up, like in Awana, I memorized all the Bible verses for me though. Awana ended up being a lot more about the performance of like showing off how much I can memorize Mm -hmm. and like earning the Awana buck to like buy the stupid toys in the store, you know, and candy and candy. Absolutely. Well, so the badges, (laughs) it's all about the badges, right? You got to get the, the achievement, the medal. So (laughs) Awana, like going through, I finished every single book. I didn't finish Sparky's when I was Sparky age. So I hit TNT and got through like all four books. Right. And did Bible quizzes all the way through like my last year in TNT doing the Bible quiz. I scored a perfect score on a solo team. Like no one else was in book four and up at the competition in Helena. Like it was me against like three teams of three. (laughs) Wow. And 
<laughs> I like multiple choice, hundred percent. And then, you know, they do those like buzzer tests where they start reading a question. You're like, oh, I know it. Um, oh, I would have loved to see that. I, That's amazing. I quizzed out. I answered the first three questions and I quizzed out immediately. They were like, you cannot answer anymore. You have officially gotten a perfect score. And I was wow. like, okay. So it, it got me third <laughs> overall just because of the way the points stacked wow. up. So like I knew my stuff and even through, through TNT, like I finished the book early and I asked my leaders, like, I never finished the last book in Sparky's. Can I just finish that one now? And again, it was just all about the, like the medal or the achievement for me. Like I, I probably memorized the, the whole last Sparky book and recited it in a night to my leader and was just over with it. Hmm. Could not tell you any verse I ever memorized in Awana today. Hmm. Like even, even probably a year or two after that, it was like somebody asked me to recite a verse and I ended up like combining like three or four different verses. It's so like <laughs> growing up, it was like my leaders would always tell me like, this is going to stick with you for like the rest of your life. Everything you me- memorize, everything you tuck down in there, it's going to stick with you. And like, this is going to serve you so well. And even having an angle of like, there were some youth leaders or some uh, Awana leaders that were particularly pointed about telling me that it's important that I'm the person in my family that can memorize all these verses. Because one day Christians are going to be persecuted so badly that they're going to burn our Bibles. And if you don't have it memorized, like it very much turned into like apocalyptic, like memorized, you know? Wow. And like very impressionable at the time. I was like, yes, sir. Yeah. Like I will memorize all of Romans. (laughs) (laughs) Man. And I I remember even in high school, like the book of Eli, do you remember that? You guys watch that movie? Very good movie. One of my favorites. When when he lays down on the bed and just starts like they're like okay you have you have it right you have the book and he just starts saying it and they uh, start writing it down I was like that's what everyone was telling me to be that's gonna that's, be me yeah um, <laughs> much more enjoyable what in a, movie format what a wild, we can leave it like that. yeah it was it was pretty weird like I don't know injecting that extra little bit of pressure of like when things really hit the fan you're going to be the walking Bible for the Henning family. And I'm like, okay, I'm into it. <laughs> um, and like, I don't, I don't, again, I don't think they were trying to like poison me with anything. Like, I don't like it when people put like their past church experiences in language of like cults and all that. We're really all just like trying to do the best for the people we do community with. Right. Mm-hmm. So like the, ch- the churches that are in the area, the churches that I've been to in the past that I don't c- go to anymore, they serve exactly who they need to serve. So like the process started following high school, like growing up very much in the church we did. It was like it was Baptist, but we were still non-denominational. Like the theology was Baptist, but we didn't tie ourselves to like a denominational structure. Growing up with a lot of uh, Calvinism and I mean, that's the big one, like the 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 total depravity angle, like. I remember our youth pastor watching there's a program called like wretched radio where the teacher was like a YouTube series or something. And the guy would just like spend 30 to 45 minutes just proving how terrible humanity is. And then right at the end, tucking, tucking in like the quote unquote, like the good news of like, Oh, but Jesus. Right. And then he's just like, and it's like, you're going to spend like five minutes on like sharing the good news and doing the altar call. But that's definitely not what's going to stick with me, man. Nice, lighthearted listening. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Totally. And <laughs> wow. And a, a lot of youth group for me, too. I remember a lot of conversations about how other religions were 100% false. Mm. 
it even started feeling like it was getting to the point where it's like, if you don't believe like us, we're not Baptists, but we're Baptists believe, then you're not even a Christian. And I've joked about mm. it with my friend Emily on, uh, on my other show Ravel. Cause that's, that's where I do a lot of theology talk. Like yeah. <laughs> I had a conversation with Emily cause she just got, uh, she's working on being ordained as a Methodist pastor. And even now she pastors a church out in Cody, Wyoming. And, uh, I finished my conversation with her and I was like, I grew up like being told that you weren't a Christian. And like mm. after this conversation, like, I don't, I don't understand how there's any doubt that you're not, mm. you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, that's, that's how that podcast started was like, we finished that. And I was like, I have another friend who would probably like to have these kind of conversations with me. And it was Josh Lou Allen, who was the first guest of no normal people Yeah, for that reason. Cause he and I just like, we hit it off on Twitter of all places. Like we met on Twitter before we met in person. Huh. Very weird. Very weird. So coming out of a lot of that in high school, like a lot of Calvinism, a lot of like every other religion, every other denomination probably is also false. And then starting to work at the refinery and listening to the Bad Christian podcast, which I started listening to because the two guys in Bad Christian, they started and are still running the band Emery, which is another like Hmm. hardcore, like screamo metal-ish type of band that I grew up listening to. Mm Mm-hmm. So like I started listening to Bad Christians just because I liked their music and I was like, oh, my first podcast ever, just tuck into this. And one of the guys was a uh, campus pastor at a church out in South Carolina. And then listening to him start his deconstruction journey, it was also at the same time we started going to our last church, which uh, had Dixie and I very excited, like it, pre- it like reawakened our faith lives because when she and I first got married for like a year solid we both worked Sunday morning shifts at City Brew. So we never went to church hmm. like for the first year of our marriage, mm-hmm. which is a very weird way to start a marriage, um, <laughs> especially like growing up in the same youth group. Like I invited her to youth group and that was one of the things that tipped her out of Mormonism and into like that youth group's version of Christianity for that time. And hmm. like, which that's a whole conversation about like missionary dating. (laughs) I do not recommend, (laughs) but it happened and it happened to work this time, but that does not mean it will happen or work for you. Um, man. So yeah, we didn't have a church. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm like all over the place. It's like I get to a place and I have to hop back from another angle. But yeah, so we started going to fresh life here in Billings, which was just absolutely the dose of like the injection of like, like hit the nose. Like Mm. we really needed just like it all to like flame up again and uh got us very excited like we were back in in on the worship team like we were joining staff even and like really poured into the leadership and forging all those kind of connections but at the same time i was working at the refinery which that that's that's why the timing worked that way i started working at the refinery Mm. got sundays off so we could start going to church again Mm -hmm. fresh life was it the rest is history but so like we were going to this church and super fired up and super excited about it because it was like back to the basics of what we all learned in youth group anyway they weren't saying anything I hadn't heard before, but they were saying it in fresh ways that was getting me really excited mm. about like being a faithful person again. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm working at the refinery and started listening to like Bad Christian and just like started to dabble in other podcasts, liturgists being another like namely one for me. Mm-hmm. All sorts of new ideas. And especially the campus pastor that was a part of Bad Christian, like he, the first thing he started really like questioning in public was why. And if hell exists Mm -hmm. and hearing him question it, I was like, wow, I've never felt permission to like ask a question about this before. Mm. Sure. And I think like deconstruction is a word for it. Like we intentionally 
did not use that kind of language when we started Ravel. Like we actually like the word Ravel because it's like the idea of like pulling apart a sweater. You grab one thread and it ravels out Mm -hmm. because the word unravel is an unnecessary negative. Like unravel and ravel mean the exact same thing. Hmm. So we're raveling out bits of our faith and like we have permission to do that. And in fact, like the God we all are seeking to fall more in love with is not threatened by us like pulling on those threads or asking those questions like that. Absolutely. The God worth following allows that kind of question asking just like any good parent does. Right. Mm. Like kids, toddlers, like you guys are about to hit this phase where August can start talking. Oh, man. And it's going to be like, why? Why? But why, dad? Why is it that way, mom? Like, that's what Mm -hmm. that's what human toddlers do. So like faith toddlers, we should be able to do the same thing and not threaten like a whole structure built around like having the right thing, having the Mm. right opinion, having the right theology or the dogma. A hundred percent. So that's, that's where it started for me too, is like listening to Joey on bad Christian ask questions about hell. If it exists, is it really the way we were taught to believe it is? And then that just like kicked open the door for everything else. Cause you start Mm. pulling on hell, you start pulling on like, well, who deserves to go there? Can you talk a little bit about what your process was? Like, was it just consuming different podcasts or pastors, people who had things to share on topics? Or were you a Google searcher? Did you find books that you read? Was it just conversation? Just it, lying in bed in the dark room thinking? So starting with podcasting for sure. And that's honestly why why I'm so fired up about podcasting is because like listening to Bad Christian, listening to the liturgists and listening to all the other shows I've been introduced to since 100% changed my life. My brain has been rewired in ways that I don't think would have been possible had I not started like listening to these people. Um, would you, can I, sorry if I can interject yeah. again there. I just love this. Oh, yeah. Was it a content based search where maybe you had this question about hell and so you were trying to find someone who was talking about this topic you had a question on or was it more person based or source based where you thought it, it, I think it was mostly person based. Like I said, I think okay. starting with bad Christian and just kind of like following their journey. I, I always felt like I was just like half a year behind what Joey, that host was thinking. Like he Mm. started questioning hell and I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I should start like asking the same questions. So I would start reading and like, it was more like I would hear a guest on their show or the other thing I like about podcasting is like, it all feels very hyperlinked. Like as soon as I have a guest from another show on it's podcasting is so intimate where it's like, if you have a guest, a guest who is a host of another show on, that means you think that guest is someone your audience might enjoy. And like that, as far as I can tell, is how the best podcasts do it is like they Mm. they collaborate and they invite each other on and they start hosting the kind of conversations they have over on the whiskey bench. But they're going to have that conversation on no normal people to start. So like, if you're curious, go hear more of them. So like Bad Christian was like the tip of the iceberg. And then it was like everything on the surface. Like it just just like hyperlinks into all the other people that I respect now and that I really like take the time to really chew on what they say because i think it would be really easy to hear especially what i'm saying about bad christian and be like oh well he took the bait and now he's like progressive christian like backsliding or or like Mm. walking away from the true faith or something but it's not it's like (sighs) deconstruction is a very serious process and i don't think anyone who does it does it flippantly Mm. like if you didn't want to do it like (laughs) if if i heard somebody start start to question hell on the bad christian podcast i could have been just like no i disagree and just move on like if you didn't actually want to chase down that curiosity then you wouldn't so like taking 
the questions taking the the raveling out of everything very seriously and also like knowing that <sighs> saying potentially what you think is the right thing but in the wrong context is still wrong for the the listener or for mm. the hearer so for me like it was very weird following that thread of like oh if 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 hell exists then who deserves to go there and then asking all sorts of questions about what for me like what i thought about original sin or like is original sin a concept that i believe in do i believe adam, adam and eve were real if i don't like do mm. i think evolution is actually the way things happened every every it's like you pull on one and all of a sudden you're just like you just have an armful of like raveled out sweater and you're like oh oh dang it no 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 um (laughs) do you ever find yourself feeling overwhelmed by that i did but i think intentionally slowing down and deconstructing with god is a lot safer and it's a lot um Hmm. it's a lot more comfortable say Um, more about that what does that look like to deconstruct with god so for me it's like uh one of my favorite pastors, Brian Zond, pastors a church in St. Joseph, Missouri. He talks about how uh, deconstruction is like stripping down a house, like taking all the paintings off the wall, taking the curtains down and like stripping down a house to exactly like what the house is without all the decorations and accoutrements. And then deciding like, is this a foundational wall or is this something we can blast out and create another window? Or like, how do you want to create a minimal and like a small place in your heart and in your soul that you would be proud to invite Jesus into. So for me, like deconstructing with God means like coming down to the basics of like, I trust God to shepherd me through this process. And I actually trust that I'm chasing down Christ, like capital C Christ at the end of this thing. And I'm not just searching for another dogma to follow. Mm. Cause mm. I think a lot of deconstructionist types, they go from being raised um, very tight like fundamentalist Christian and then they get angry at the fact that they were raised that way. So it's like a rebellion against all authority and a rebellion against all sorts of expertise or well-reasoned theological thought, philosophical thought. And all of a sudden you're, you're left being like a fundamentalist deconstructionist type of person where it's Mm. like, now you can certainly say that nothing is true. It's like what, you, like your your attitude is the exact same thing. Like Josh taught me that on our episode of No Normal People is like it's called the horseshoe theory, where it's like if you're the extreme of one side to bring it back up to the top of the horseshoe and like try to balance right where the curve like tips over, that's the hardest place to be because otherwise you just slip to the other side, and now you're acting the same way but you're on the like quote unquote the other side of things. Hmm. So like deconstructing with God to me is essentially like coming back to like i value scripture enough to read it every day i value the psalms enough especially to pray them every day i meditate and like spend time contemplatively with god because like i think that's worth it i I believe that there's an actual person meeting me in that place but a lot of theology for me it's like it started feeling really scary when i started doubting the actual person on the other side of things but Mm. being willing for me some people might think I didn't take it far enough, but for me, it's like Jesus is so valuable enough to me that I, mm. I won't go there. I don't want to go there. So like I've, I've stripped down the house to like the one bedroom or even like the studio apartment version. And now it's just slowly like, how do I want to renovate the space? How do I want to build it out? C.S. Lewis uh, said something that I have always found uh, or thought really wise. And this won't be a direct quote, but roughly that 
the whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. To go on seeing through everything is the same as not to see. I think that's very good yeah. in this context. Yeah. Yeah. The minimalists on their podcast, they always say if everything is important, then nothing is. Hmm. And the other thing, the the other version of that is true. If like, if everything is meaningless, hmm. yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. If everything is meaningless or you've created meaning out of meaninglessness, hmm. I, I, there's a better way to say that. But it's like, if you're, if your foundation is just trying to disprove what everybody else thinks because you think you're the enlightened one and everyone else is the naive one. <laughs> like, like if you're leaving burned bridges behind you, like every place you go, like every church you go to, the common thread is not every church you go to. <laughs> it's yeah. the fact that yeah. you're leaving or you showed up in that place to begin with. Like, yeah. If, yeah. There's, if there's smoldering wreckage behind you all the time, like maybe, maybe it's time for you to decide, like, what do you actually care about all this? You know, hmm. Stephen, as for those people who may be listening to this and thinking, oh, I don't think I've ever asked myself those kinds of questions or interested in maybe starting the deconstruction process for themselves. What advice or insight would you give them? Or encouragement. Oh, advice and encouragement. The advice would be hold everything with an open hand. So allow everything to be a gift in that way. Any theology that is handed to you the way you were raised, whether it be through Awana and a very like Calvinist youth group, or if you were raised Methodist or Catholic or Buddhist, anything like this, like anything you were handed, it was handed to you by a community that thought it was the most important thing and the most beautiful thing to hand you. So like, Mm. Don't get mad at the people in your past who thought this was the best thing for you. Mm. I just, I I choose to believe that in original blessing over original sin, uh, there's a lot we can say about like how dark the human heart can become, but I don't think we ever start that way. Like, and, and for me, like holding, I mean, you guys had this experience with August, but even holding my nephew, Michael, after 48 hours of him being like out in the world, it was, it was offensive to me like holding him and looking in his eyes the few times he opened his eyes like it was offensive to me to imagine that this creature was like totally depraved and until he can make a personal decision to follow jesus christ that he is like doomed to hell Mm. Mm. so like choosing original blessing over original sin is a very intentional thing and i know that can be contentious but i'm not discounting evil but i think we as humans like we're all just trying to figure it out and we're all normal people just trying to do do our life in the most beautiful way that we think we can craft yeah so when normal people in your past the way you grew up awana youth group all that when they hand you those kind of things they i don't think they do it out of malicious intent uh but holding everything with such a loose grasp and an open hand to say like that's that's allowed to fly away now i almost imagine like you know that scene in fellowship of the ring when Gandalf gets captured by Saruman and Saruman puts him on the top of the tower Mm -hmm. and Gandalf catches that moth and like whispers a message. And then the moth goes and gets the Eagles. The way Gandalf catches that moth is like, he barely like creates a cage. Like he's not squishing the thing. He knows he needs, it needs to fly away, but at the same time, like keep it just close enough that it won't fly away until you've said to it what you need to say, or Mm. it has said to you what it needs to say. Hmm. So like that kind of grasp on things would be the advice. And I think the encouragement kind of comes in there too. It's like, I, again, I I don't think we're teaching each other poisonous things on purpose. Hmm. And honestly, like poisonous is a really harsh word. 
because like even even our past church setting, like I said, like it was exactly what Dixie and I needed at, at the time. And the community that has grown out of that, like we met our marriage mentors there and we continue to meet with them ever since. Mm. Um, but like as communities change, I think you should be willing to to follow that. And like if your values change enough that you start to feel like a dislocated joint in that community. Like for me, like I was becoming very aware of like me asking these kind of questions in the small group I was in. I was being more of a thorn in everyone's side than I was like a helpful member of the of mm. the team. Mm. That like I can't put any responsibility on anyone else. Like I would choose to put that responsibility on me first and be like, of course there's a more gracious way to ask that question without like watching someone just like crumble in their faith like within the matter of a few weeks because you asked one question. Yeah. Like, that I'm terrified of that. But yeah, I think the open-handed posture and just like following your curiosity and just know what's the most important to you and then just follow the curiosity is my main mm, I love that. I guess. Steven? Yeah. I want to be cognizant of our time here. Sure. And I want to uh, just ask if there's anything that you would really like to touch on that we can ask you about here as we begin to wind into the final final minutes here. <sighs> nice. I guess the big thing that I'm working on between me and my friend Alex Falcongrove, he and I are kind of putting together the operational side of things and like a lot of structure on the back end in order to create something for No Normal People, Whiskey Bench, and Ravel is we're actually starting a podcast network this year. We got the LLC just a couple weeks ago approved what, what? by the uh, Secretary of State here in nice. Montana. So we're starting the Highline Media Network. Highline? Highline. Highline. Yep. So uh, the longer vision statement is bringing the art of podcasting back to normal people in normal places that are not generally considered epicenters of culture and entertainment. Hmm. So like, cool. I'm also a little bit sick of the fact that if you find good art or if you find like a good show to watch or a good film, it's either New York or LA. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just, I'm done with that. <laughs> <laughs> so like bringing, you know, cool podcasts can come out of Billings or Bozeman or Denver and bringing it back to normal people. It's like, we're, we're working on developing shows. Like guys, I have pages in my note. I probably have like 20 shows that I want to eventually exist. I can't host them all. God knows I can't host them all, <laughs> <laughs> but there are so many projects. Like I just have in mind that it was time to like open up the umbrella to put them all under and like Highline network is that. So the Highline is a nod to like podcasting and art coming from normal places. So for me in particular, it's a reference to the immense northern border that we share with Canada that us Montanans call the Highline. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, like I like to think of it as like, even though we're normal people, like we've also figured out how to like do good audio and mm -hmm. we've also figured out how to like have a, an interesting enough conversation to invite other people in mm -hmm. and not leave them bored. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So like we set the bar high for ourselves just because like we think high quality stuff can come out of come out of places where like culture and society or like Hollywood or whatever has set the bar above us. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's so exciting. And it's got a very good ring to it. Thank you. I'm she very excited about it. Yeah. I think the other thing, like what did I want to be as a kid? What I want to be now is basically what I'm creating for myself. Like you've asked, like, do you want to be a professional podcaster? Yes, but it's more, I'm interested in just the world of audio in general. So I've been devouring a show called 20,000 Hertz and it's all about sound design. So I want to have this business and I think that's going to be my main thing for quite a while. But 
just growing in my audio skills. Like I eventually want to become like a sound designer for video games and like animated films. Oh, that's fantastic. That, you know, it not, be great not necessarily that. fully work, but being the guy here, like panning everything left and right and like doing the mixing on, on everything and like creating a world just in headphones. That is a very, oh, that's so cool. very cool job description. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm excited about. Oh, love it. Where can we follow uh, the latest updates about Highline Network? Oh, good gravy. Okay, well, so you should first start with our founding shows, No Normal People, Ravel, and Whiskey Bench, which I've talked about ad nauseum. But we're just kind of like, Highline is creating officially what has been true all along, is that like the three of us shows are related by the fact that I'm a co-host on them, but also like our tone and our underlying message about like, you know, Ravel is like normal people can talk about theology without having to have the degree in it or be a pastor or like Emily happens to be those things. But Josh and I do quite a bit of talking for ourselves and we're just like people who are interested in it. And Whiskey Bench is the same. It's like normal people talking about politics and what mm. we're passionate about in creating like Torna creating is custom furniture and like building out like rental buildings and houses and all that. So follow those shows. Um, and for now, we're just starting with at Highline.network on Instagram, but eventually it will be Highline.network. Awesome. Would be the website as well. Cool. And I'm assuming you'll link to all of that in of all course. of the places. Absolutely, I will. Very excited to Perfect. keep our eyes up for that. Stephen, before we head into the wrap-up questions, um, would you just touch on maybe one of the systems or routines in your life that brings you the most satisfaction? Oh, I, it's all in the morning for me. Hmm. Um, and it's constantly being tweaked. You and I were just talking about this recently over at your house where it's like, I can be guilty of wanting to get the thing perfect the first time and never have to revisit it. Yeah. Um, but the morning routine and just the wisdom of my friend, Alex, especially on working on launching Highline is like revise early, revise often and repeat when necessary. Like Hmm. you can constantly be evolving and changing like what is valuable to you. So like going into quarantine, almost all my habits and routines disappeared. Um, Interesting. And then like rebuilding out of that and figuring out what works in, in this kind of world, especially losing uh, like going to the gym on a regular basis mm. was one. But for me, I think the the practice I would always point people to is journaling and however you want to do that for me, like I always think I'm constantly thinking about how I can edit my template, but I just build a template. I get my favorite notebook and then with red pen, I just put the header of the section and then I just journal with my black pen so I can always change it myself. I'm not like looking to buy the perfect journal that will always be the perfect journal. Can you give an example of one of those headers? Like what sort of sections? Yeah. So I start with reading um, a chapter of scripture. Like I started like three years ago reading the Bible cover to cover. So like I'm just now in first Thessalonians (laughs) from starting back in Genesis, like a few years ago. Um, so just like slow burning everything, just taking one chapter at a time. And if I skip a day of journaling, I don't skip that chapter in the Bible. So mm-hmm. I just like, I'll come back to it, you know? So I'll start with that and then read a Psalm as well. Just a flavor of Old Testament. I think the thing in my journaling that has given me the most value is I have a, an arrow pointing left and an arrow pointing right on separate lines. What I do. So the one pointing left is me calling to mind the following morning, what the last thing Dixie said to me was or wanted to talk about, like what was the last conversation we had? And then the the arrow to the right I do in the evening on my second half of the journal. And it's me calling to mind, like what was the first thing that she wanted to talk about or the first conversation we had? 
that day. Cause to me, like I figure like we've all had that experience. Like pillow talk is famous for the kind of intimacy and vulnerability it brings out because you're actually laying down and going to fall asleep. And like the thing that's on the forefront of your brain, if it doesn't come out, then like it's going to come out first thing in the morning. So Mm. for me, like intentionally choosing to pay attention to what Dixie wants to talk about the last thing of every day and the first thing of every day for me, I've been able to like tweeze out some pretty core values of hers that she wasn't necessarily able to articulate before. And like, I could look back through my journal over two weeks and be like, wow, you talked about this for the last two weeks. Is there anything else you really want to say about it? And she's like, I'm so glad you finally asked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Steven, I'm so inspired by the intentionality of that. Like really making a study of your spouse and uncovering things. Oh, that's very powerful. If I, if I didn't put any of that on paper, I would not be nearly the husband I am. Hmm. (laughs) Dixie is such a, a wealth of wisdom. It would be very hard to get just by like sitting next to her on the couch and watching her draw, even though like consuming her art is definitely one of my favorite things. I, I like to say that she adds, she brings color to our house when I bring all the black and white, like I'll bring all the, <laughs> I'll bring the scaffolding to all the stuff, but she, she injects all sorts of color and vivid imagery to our lives. Oh, we love that about you guys. So like you compliment each other really well. But if I didn't study her, I would not compliment that. Uh. Nearly <laughs> <as well. laughs> That's true. I think that the places as spouses that we have the greatest opportunity to compliment and build each other up are also those spaces of greatest vulnerability and places where we could mm. easily take each other down. Um, yeah. Too much friction. Yeah. <laughs> the truest loves in your lives are the ones who know everything about you and that they could destroy you with what they know about you, but they choose not to. Yeah. Yep. And that is absolutely true of yeah. Dixie. <laughs> Talk about a cool point of tension. Well, she she knows she could tear me down if she wanted to. Like she knows exactly what I would need to hear to just like instantly hit the bottom of my my self-esteem, the bottom of like <laughs> any of my own performance or anything like that. Like she she knows what would take me there, but she because she knows she steers clear, you know. Mm. She puts up the little like the orange warning cones. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Steven. So we're going to do part two and part three of this later, right? After we do part two and part three for Dixie. Fantastic. Fantastic. To part one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You guys want to do this every January? Okay, done. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Speaking of routines. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Bring back the habits. Nice. So Steven, what are you currently reading? I am working three books right now. I listen to a podcast that's essentially like a, uh, a book club for Tolkien. Um, so it's a chapter by chapter reread of The Hobbit right now. They've already done the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings chapter by chapter. And each of their episodes are like over three hours long. So, wow. Yeah, it's intense. Long running there. Oh, intense. my gosh. And it's called Up Talkin' Tolkien, I think is the, their title. I found them on their very first episode, like on a whim. We were just at Black Dog and I was like, I wonder if there's a podcast about Tolkien. And I just looked it up and like they were the first result, but they had no episodes yet. And I'm like, I guess I'll follow. Totally. I have no idea. It was like the universe just wanted me to read Lord of the Rings again, which was my fourth time reading the, the series. But so I'm reading The Hobbit right now, following along with that podcast. And then I just cracked open Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis, which is the beginning of his uh, space trilogy. So it's like if the Chronicles of Narnia are the fiction he wrote for kids, the space trilogy is like his adult science fiction. Nice. 
and I'm only four chapters in. And so far I'm just, I'm absolutely loving it. Like I love, mm. I, I especially love reading science fiction from like the forties and fifties of what people like 70 and 80 years ago thought space travel would be like. And then in 2020 being like, yeah, SpaceX just like announced that they were going to do that in a couple of years. It's oh, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. It's very weird. Cool. And then the uh, the nonfiction book I'm working on taking very diligent notes on because it's very dense is The Social Contract by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Um, he's an Enlightenment, like French Swiss political thinker and philosopher. So I'm kind of reading that for the whiskey bench because that's it's informing a lot of my evolving thoughts on politics and mm. how government should behave and how it interacts with us as mm. individuals. So he's doing a lot of talking about that right now. So it's like, it's a serious gift to be able to like underline that and take all sorts of notes. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. So you listen to an exorbitant wealth of podcasts. I sure do. What are... It's embarrassing. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to put some, some maybe more parameters. parameters on this next question. What podcasts and music do you listen to when you need to just zone out for a little while? Oh, the zone out shows. My zone out shows, it's not necessarily zone out. Like I don't pay attention to them. Right. But the ones that are just pure entertainment value. Just because the joy of listening to them is its own reward. Man. Okay. So they're all comedy podcasts. Cause like if I need to, if I'm doing anything like with my hands, like if I'm doing dishes, having a comedy podcast, it always just like creates in me that sense of memory of like, yeah, doing dishes is like, yeah doing the dishes but also you're gonna laugh because you've saved this podcast for it my brother my brother and me is the top those are the McElroy brothers excellent uh, they also host uh the adventure zone which is a D play show uh, they also do with their dad that they started a good number of years ago dungeons and daddies is one uh another D uh playthrough um there's one called jordan jesse go and it's he's the founder of the maximum fun podcast network to which like Adventure Zone, my brother, my brother and me, mm. they all belong. But it's just him like in his college roommate doing their old late night radio improv comedy routines that they always did. Just they literally talk about nothing, but they talk about it in the funniest way. Uh, <laughs> and I just find it yeah. I just find it absolutely delightful. All comedy. That's really where it goes nice. for me. I, uh, Pete Holmes is my favorite stand up comedian. Mm. And he has a show called You Made It Weird where... <laughs> Uh, he very often, and he's been running for like 10 years now, which is fantastic. Wow. Uh, his is very much like in the Joe Rogan style, like super long form. Sure. But he, so he goes back and forth between having comedy guests on and then like having super deep, like religious thinkers on. And it's super fun to hear that contrast. That's yeah. quite the mm. dynamic podcast. Yes, it is. Yeah, I want to check that out. That's I cool. like that one a lot. So what are you, five. uh, what are you currently watching? Watching, I am working through 30 Rock. It's an old show by Tina Fey, and uh, Alec Baldwin is one of the stars in it. And I'm, I'm watching it because my dad started getting into it. We didn't grow up with internet, so we never had like Netflix or anything. So we would just buy seasons of shows at a time. <laughs> like season nine of The Office came out, and we had to wait an entire year until it was printed on oh. DVD for us to actually finish oh. The Office. Ouch. Which was like the worst like spoiler alert year of my life. I was like, no, don't talk about it. <laughs> um, but he started buying seasons of 30 Rock because he really liked Tina Fey. And when I was in high school, like I was like, this show is really dumb. Like I do not want to spend my time here. 
Uh, but he just recently talked me back into it. And now I'm like on season six. <laughs> nice. Um, as far as music goes, coming back to what I'm listening to, mm-hmm. it's like it, if it's not Hamilton, because Dixie and I are in the car together and we're karaoke singing Hamilton to the instrumental track. If if <sighs> Dixie always says it's my choice of music when I'm the passenger in the car, which I usually am, but she never lets, lets me play metal music, which is like oh. where I live. Oh, So bands like Emery, August Burns Red, Silent Planet, like... It's definitely not a genre for everyone, but ever since high school, it's just been something that my my buddy Mike and I always bonded over mm. yeah. and started creating together at a certain point. And yeah, it just gives me a ton of energy. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. And surprisingly, I can understand most of the uh, the lyricists now. So like they'll scream. That's definitely an acquired skill. And an acquired taste, which is why Dixie doesn't allow me to play it very often, but I take it when I can. There you go. All right. Um, I kind of asked an iteration of this already, but Stephen, are there any questions you wish we would have asked that you would still like to answer? Man, I don't think so. Like if we did a part two, I could probably just talk about like being married to Dixie forever. We have to do part two. I want to hear. We probably should at some point. Or one day we could just set up a fourth mic and then you like, it could be yeah. the four of us. Ooh, I like that. That might be interesting. Yeah. yeah just like. You asked who my best friend was, and, and I know Dixie didn't want to say me just because that felt default, but man, it's so true for me. She understands me on a level that not a lot of people do. Hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. I think uh, your marriage is really special. 11 years into meeting and being in a relationship together. Hmm. It's been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's to the future. Here we go. Absolutely. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. I just love getting to pick your brain and thanks for doing this, you guys. Fill in some more blanks as we get to know you as a person, and it's an honor to be your friend. Ah, oh, thank you. Thanks for being our second guest on this podcast. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Do I say the thing now? Oh, it's uh, my turn, isn't it? I think it's your turn to say the thing. Weird. Guess it memorized or not? The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Thanks for joining us. You can follow the Hennings on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music is composed and performed by Stephen and Dixie Henning and was recorded, mixed, and mastered by Austin Smith. Our artwork is designed by Dixie Lee Henning. Find more of her work at DixieLeeDraws.com, at DixieLeeDraws on Instagram, and at DrawsDixie on Twitter.